Um, if you've been with us for any period of time, you know that we're going through the book of Hebrews, and we're going we're gonna to get right there this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 10, and as you turn there this morning, you're going to find that as we go through this portion of Scripture, that it will almost feel like we've read this chapter before. We've, and, and, and you know, here, here's the reality is that, um, man, we are a fickle and forgetful people, aren't we? I mean, I, I think, I think, you know, I always like, we watch these uh, Marvel movies with uh, like Captain America or, I'm actually more of a DC fan, you know, like, I feel like lately Disney has kind of ruined some of this stuff. It's kind of, I, I know this, my kids went and watched the last um, Doctor Strange movie and they said it felt like a Disney Channel movie, you know? And, and okay, whatever, you know, I get it. Like Disney's trying to like market to the masses and make it as palatable for everybody. But that's kind of why I like DC. I mean, DC Batman, you know, you, you don't get a cooler superhero than Batman, right? He's gritty. He's always foreboding. He's stoic. He's just always carrying this bitterness. And that makes a good superhero. Um, but I think my superhero, like I often think, what would my superhero ability be? And I think it would actually be this uncanny ability to not do what I'm supposed to do. I carry around in me all of the thoughts about the truth of who God is, and sometimes they go from my head to my heart, but very often what I find is happening is that I know the truths about who God is, His kingdom, and what I'm supposed to do as a follower of Jesus, and that I just completely forget it. I completely default at many times in my life toward things that I just want to do. And see, the writer of Hebrews is not unaware of this thing that we do as humans, that we have this tendency to kind of just revert back to what we want to do and what we've done over and over again. And so this morning, the writer of Hebrews is going to say things that will feel extremely repetitive. And as a preacher, part of me wants to go like, let's just skip this chapter, you know, and because he's already said it before, and so what am I going to say again this morning? Well, here's the reality. If God has put it in Scripture, there's a reason for it. And I think that the writer of Hebrews knows that we tend to forget and we tend to go back to our old ways, and he wants to remind us again. He's going to reiterate. This is what John Cal, or, I'm sorry, not John Cal, Martin Luther said this about this tendency that we have. Uh, I think that it's going to be on the screen. Yeah, here I must take counsel of the gospel. I must hearken to the gospel, which teacheth me, that means teaches, me, he speaks in his old English, not what I ought to do, for that is the proper office of the law, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me, to wit, that he suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. The gospel willeth me to receive this and to believe it. And this is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness, godliness consisteth. Sorry, my <laughs> are happening. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. 
Martin Luther for the win. Now, I think both Martin Luther and the writer of Hebrews know something about the condition of the human heart. And this morning what we're going to do is we look at chapter 10. We're going to read through verses 1 through 18. We're going to unpackage that this morning. My challenge to you this morning and my encouragement to you is not to go, oh, you know, we, if we've been in the book of Hebrews, if you've been here at Southland Street, you're like, I feel like deja vu. We've said this before. But to come under the authority of Scripture and say, Lord, why are you wanting to repeat this to us at this very moment in time? What is it that I need to hear? How do I need to subject my thought, my hearts, my ways, the way I lead my life, life unto your ways and your will and your the way you've created things and so can i pray for us this morning just that we would be able to submit our hearts according to what god has for us lord we we thank you lord that you are a god who bears with us that you are a god who very often will repeat things to us because we don't get it And Your grace and Your way toward us is unending. It would be incessant, like an incessant wellspring that flows and it continues to give. We thank You for that truth this morning. And so, Lord, we come to You in Your Word and Your ways and say, whatever part of our hearts, whatever part of our understanding and our decision-making and our will and our souls that tends to just go back to the default way that we live Lord, we want to subject that to you this morning. Because we know that you're good and that you have our best interest in mind and that you love us and you want to bring us into maturity, we trust you, God. And we say, help us this morning. Help us to to relish your word. Help us this morning to apply it to our lives. Help us to not be like the children of Israel who wandered in the desert for 40 years because They were disobedient and just did the default things. Help us, Lord, this morning, Lord, to submit our lives to you. And we ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so what is it that the book of Hebrews this morning, uh, a la Martin Luther, is going to beat into our heads this morning? What is this truth that we need to hear. Well, here's a couple things. Let's, if, if you're taking notes, the first thing I think that is mentionable that we see is that the writer of Hebrews makes this bold statement that the law, the old covenant, the way that we um, come to God is just a shadow. Okay? And he says the law is only a shadow. This is what he says, Hebrews 10, 1 through 3 and 3. Now, this morning, um, I am reading from the NLT version. Normally, we, we read from the ESV, but Often what I'll do is just to make it super plain, because today can be a little bit um, legalese in some of the wording, I wanted us to just say, okay, what exactly is this scripture saying? So we're not going to lose any substance by getting into the NLT, but what we are going to do is just make it plain and clear. And here's what the writer says in verses 1 through 3. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. Everybody say, only a shadow. Yeah, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under the system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. Verse 2. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. 
For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. And so what we have right out of the gate is that the writer of Hebrews is reminding us again, remember the context of Hebrews. Remember that he's writing to primarily a Jewish audience of Christians who would have grown up with a a Jewish understanding of their faith, who would have participated, known all the stories of their faith, and they would have wanted to default back to these old traditions that they found saved them in the past. And what the writer of Hebrews is doing in this moment, he says, don't do it. Don't go back to the old ways. Let me remind you why Jesus is better. See, Jesus is better because these old ways, it's just a shadow. It's just a mere shadow. And you friends, I was thinking about it this week. I do this myself, but I know that in this room and in Southlands Chino, as one of the pastors of this church, I know that we do this thing called shadowing. I know we do. I do it. Where you, you see something, of, of, it has just like a, a resemblance of the things of God, of the good things of God. And it, it, it kind of, it looks like it, but it's not, it's just kind of a wisp of what the things of God actually are. And what we tend to do is when we see like the essence of the, the good things of God, we tend to chase after those things instead of God himself. And what that does is it lends us and it, it makes us end up being either, what the, what the author says here is we feel more guilty about our sins because the, just the good things and not God himself, they actually don't set us free from sin. Or we're just exhausted. And I would say, friends, family, this morning, if you are just chasing after shadows, put your hope fully in Jesus and Jesus alone. You know, what are some of those shadow things that I think we chase? I mean, like if, I mean, we always come back to this, don't we? We always do, but I think it's this whole understanding of the morality portion of religion that says, if I do good things, then God will be happy with me. Marianne and I were out on a trail last week, and we were talking about Hebrews, and we were saying, man, it, Sometimes there's this disconnect from the Old Testament examples that the writer of Hebrews does and for the application for us here in the year 2022. And I said, actually, I think the application seems to be always the same. Is that we tend to think that if we can muster up good things and do good things, that somehow God will be impressed with us and then we feel better about ourselves to be able to approach God. But actually, those are just shadows. False promises. And if you're starting to lean to that way and you're finding yourself exhausted, or even you, at the end of the day you, you realize those things actually don't set me free from sin, they actually just make me feel more guilty and tired, stop putting your hope in those things. Uh, will you guys put that picture of Mariana? Oh, look at that. This is my wife. If you guys don't know, this is my wife, Marianne. This is actually one of my favorite photos of her. She probably doesn't know this. It's a, it's a simple photo. I, I like kind of the, um, my wife makes fun of me, like the mom look when in her clothes. The soccer mom, you know, like if she were to drive a Suburban with the little stick figures on the back of the window. We don't have that, 
But that's like the whole look. I love like the classic nature of the clothes. Like you can't really tell exactly what era that is. That'll probably be in style in 20 years because, you know, whatever. But this is like one of my favorite photos of her. It's just simple. She's not all super dolled up. It's just Marianne and everyday life, right? Um, and, you know, like if ever, if ever I'm like looking at these photos, like, oh, this is my wife. But the reality of this, it's, uh, that photo's on my phone. The reality of this photo being on my phone is it's a terrible kisser. It doesn't kiss very well. <laughs> the other thing about this photo is it doesn't speak truth and love to me. It doesn't say, hey, babe, I think you're out of line here. Or you, you kind of were, were rude to the kids or rude to me. And that's not becoming of what a Christian, hus- a Christian husband and a father is. This, this photo, it's just a representation of my wife. It's not my actual wife. And see, what we tend to do is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying what you're doing is you're chasing shadows. You're just chasing just images of the truth of the person of who Jesus is over Jesus himself. And if you're all we're doing is chasing those images, all we have is what we can kind of come up with in our mind of how we're going to interact. But what we need to do is step away from those things, allow the old things to be passed away, where we try to put our morality as somehow trying to impress God with that. And lean into the truth of this new and better covenant that we have in Christ. This ability to be able to come to God with, with full boldness, not arrogance, but boldness because of what Jesus has done for us and to us, as Martin Luther says, the actual foundation of our faith. So what are these good things that the writer of Hebrews, Marianne, you know, she reminded, of these, reminded us of these things last week. The writer says at the end, the good things. What are the good things that, that, the, that the shadow was just trying to point us to? Well, obviously it's salvation, isn't it, that we have in Jesus? I mean, if, if today you are feeling a little bit discouraged or a lot discouraged, you know what? That the enemy or no circumstance or no person or no IRS or no whatever the situation is, nobody can take away from you is your salvation in Jesus if you have put your hope in faith in Christ. No one can take that from you. And so this morning, no matter how good or bad you are feeling, the good things that you have are something that neither moth, the Bible says, or rust, or time, or anyone can take from you. It's the fact that Jesus has saved you. But it's not just salvation. It's purpose in life, isn't it? It's, it's the ability to be free from sin. It's the ability to know that we have no fear in this life because death is just a portal to be face to face with God. And we know that this is just temporal. It's just a tent our body is. But what awaits us is actually perfection and glory and seeing God face to face. These are the good things that you and I have in Christ. And the writer of Hebrews would say, Southlands Chino, I want to remind you of this truth. Don't chase after shadows. All right, what else is he telling us this morning? Number two, Jesus' sacrifice is once for all time. Jesus' sacrifice is once for all time. This is what he says in verse four. For it is not possible, everybody say not possible, 
For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. See, here's, here's the thing. The, the, what the, the writer is basically trying to make it super plain because what people wanted to do is offer sacrifices. They wanted to revert back to the sacrificial system, what the Bible calls, of offering for their guilt and for their sins a sacrifice of an animal. And he's saying, this is not sufficient. This is not enough. And so, here, here, I have these, uh, these chairs around my dining room table. And um, they, they look nice, kind of. Kind, I don't know if they look nice anymore. They're kind of old. If the kids have been around, they kind of might la- they're laughing because they probably don't look nice anymore. They look charactered, okay? Um, but they are constantly, the legs on them are constantly coming loose. Constantly. They have these little screws and I don't know who designed this. Any of you mechanical engineers, please help these people, okay? Because what it is is these, these screws, and then there's a washer on it. And the washer always gets worn out, doesn't hold the screw in place, and they always get loose. And then you end up sitting on the chair and it like wobbles because the legs are all... And then I have to get that my socket wrench and I tighten them. And then I get so frustrated, I tighten it too tight, tight, and then the wood break pulls it out. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're useless. They're constantly in need of being tightened. What I need, Marianne's going to say, no, we're fine with what we have. What I need is new chairs. I need chairs that don't get loose. I need chairs that are supposed to do what they're supposed to do because I paid a lot of money for those chairs. That drives me crazy. Are you like me? Where you tend to think, if I pay more, it's probably a better product. No, okay, that's just me. But see, this old sacrificial system of bulls, goats, animals, etc., to sacrifice for our sins is not enough. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage us, telling us there's something wrong. And he'll continue here. Look at verses 5 through 10. It's not enough. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God. So Jesus is saying to the Father, the Son is saying, to the Father, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Verse 7, then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the Scriptures. First, Christ said, you do not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them though they are required by the law of Moses. Verse 9. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. So he's, the writer of Hebrews is, is kind of like basically saying, this is what took place here. Then he said, look, I've come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to what? To put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. So here's what we have here. Is Jesus recognizes that these sacrifices weren't enough. And so what does He say? Jesus, the Son, says to God the Father, I will go. Right? I will go. I will be the sacrifice. I will be enough. Was this, was this like the Father, the Son, the Spirit, all agreeing that this should take place and somehow 
out of their excitement or their um, um, the, the emotional response to wanting to see man saved from sin would just say, oh, well, Jesus, be, you know, He's willing to do it, and so we'll, we'll make Him enough. No, it's not just because of a willingness. It's because of the truth of the nature and the identity and the character of who Christ is. Because He is fully God. Fully God. And so what this sacrifice required was perfection. And only in Christ do we find that there's enough for this sacrifice. And the beautiful thing about this sacrifice on Christ, it was once for all time. Now, you want to talk about chairs? Look at this. Uh, verses, where are we? I'm, I'm jumping ahead. No, I'm not. Okay. Let's talk about chairs. Look at verse 11. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. Do you notice, did you, I don't know if you know this, but there's no chairs written here, and there were no chairs in the tabernacle. Why? Because the priest couldn't sit down and be like, man, that was a lot of work, butchering that bull, butchering that goat. i got to sit down now and just take, no, he had to con continually offer sacrifice. I bought master class for myself last year uh, as a Christmas gift for myself. And Gordon Ramsay's on there. If you don't know who Gordon Ramsay is, I mean, you're probably living under a rock, but he, he, he's, I love this guy, as rude and as arrogant and all that he is, I love him because he is good at what he does. And he, he shows off, of course he does, right? And he blindfolds himself as he is filleting a salmon. He said, I've done this salmon a thousand times. And even as good as Gordon Ramsay is as filleting the salmon, it takes him a good like 10, 15 minutes to get through I don't know how many thousands of fillets that he has gone through. It takes work. It takes effort. And in the same way these priests were continually working, continually had to offer sacrifices for sins. Why? Because the bulls and the goats did not satisfy once and for all like the sacrifice of Jesus. Why then, friends, do you and I revert back and we somehow go, yes, Jesus, uh, what did we sing today? The name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who can save. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk out of these doors and try to save myself. I'm going to walk out and try to do all these good things to make God somehow impressed with me. And what I need to do is say, Lord, I cannot do enough. I will never have enough. It's only you, Jesus. Think about that right now. What are the areas of your life that you are putting your hope in your own morality? In your, in your fulfilled checklist? Have you been a good dad this week? A good mom? Have you been a really outstanding employee? Have you paid all your taxes? Does any of that earn you favor with God? No, it does not. The only thing that earns us favor with God is the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. So why then do we revert back to these old things you know how I know that Jesus was enough? He sat down. Look at this. I mean, let's continue this chair thing, right? 
verses 12 to 13. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sin. Single sacrifice. Good for all time. Everybody say all time. All time. What, what's, I mean, anyways. Then he sat down. He sat down unlike the priests in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool, footstool under his feet. We have assurance because unlike the priests who are continually running around, exhausted, oh, you sinned again? Oh my gosh, not again. Mike, you did that again? Now i got to go sacrifice for you again? And Jesus says, it's been done. What did he say with his last breath? It is finished. Man, that gives me confidence. Now, lest any of you this morning are freaking out thinking, well, Kelly, are you saying that, you know, it just doesn't matter how I live my life? I've heard preachers say things like this before. I've been in churches like this. I've, been, I've left churches because they preach things like, you can just do whatever you want, and I see the culture in the church that is tending to do that even now, right now, Right? We're seeing that. Just do whatever you want. God will forgive you. Or God just doesn't care about how you live your life. No, that is not true. And the writer of Hebrews helps us with that. If you go all the way down to verse 14, for by that one offering, He made perfect those who are what? Being made holy. Let me say that again. Being made holy. What does that mean? That is talking about sanctification. What is sanctification? It is this process. It is this uh, life of submission to the truth of who God is and saying, Lord, this is my will and my ways, but I will submit it to your wills, your will and your ways. And so through, through this cooperative partnership that we have with the Holy Spirit and the truth of Scripture, what we do is we surrender our lives and when we become a Christian, we are brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But that's not the end of the story, is it? No, it's not. Because there's a continual discipleship process of maturity that each one of us here this morning who would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, have to surrender our lives to. So one day, like we sing the old hymn, once I was blind, but now I see. That is called this being made holy. Nowhere in Scripture does the Bible ever say God will save you. You could do whatever you want now. Because God is holy, He demands holiness. And we do our best to surrender, don't we? But which brings us back to the problem. We can't do it perfectly. And so Jesus says, I did. I did it perfectly for you. So stop trying to earn favor. Just do your best and rest in my grace. Do your best and rest in my grace. You see how it's like a dance? It's like a waltz. Okay. You guys hanging in there? Last point. And this is huge. Jesus plus anything is nothing. Jesus plus anything is nothing. Hebrews 10, 15, 18, 15 through 18. Let's read the rest. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. 
I'll put my laws on their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. Let's just pause there for a moment. Do you remember when we talked about this before? And see, this is just a reassurance, a reiteration, a reminder to you and me. I mean, it almost feels like we're, I could almost say the same point over and over and over again. Why do we need to hear it? Because we, we default. It's not that we become Christians so that we become good rule keepers. That's not what our faith is. See, our faith is something that's been done to us, isn't it? Every other faith is something you do. But Christianity is different. Christianity is something that's been done to you. So I've used this example before, but if I walk out in the street and a Big Mac truck, you know, they're doing all this construction here for Chino High School, trying to get everything looking cool. And one of these trucks that has all the garbage in it and it's going to go to the dump, and I don't see it, and it doesn't see me, and it comes barreling down, and it hits me. Am I going to look a little different? I probably will. If there's a fight between me and a Mack truck, as superheroes I think I am, it's not going to like end well for me. And if I survive that encounter, you will say, something's different about you, Kelly. You're walking a little different. You're sounding a little different. Because I've been changed by something on the outside came and it affected my life. And for us to say, no, you know, uh, our faith is a bunch of rules, and if I do the rules really well, then I'm doing really good in the faith. That is not us doing good in the faith. That is us doing religion really well. And what we are called to understand is that Christianity is something that came into your world. God comes in spite of you in your sin, in spite of your immorality, in spite of all your good rule keeping. What He does is He, come and he comes and He meets you there. And when you encounter God, you cannot remain unchanged. If you're saying, I've been a Christian all my life and I keep doing all the old things and I, keep, I enjoy sinning and I enjoy just doing it my way. You know, like what's the most famous song that's sung at funerals? I did it my way, right? Uh, Sinatra, the, the chairman of the board, if that's our story in life, then we have not been transformed from the inside out. And so when the writer of Hebrews quotes Psalms, and the Psalms quote back to Jeremiah and Ezekiel, where God says, I'm going to take your heart, I'm going to take it from stone, and I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to turn it into flesh, and no longer will your life, Israel, just be a bunch of rule followers trying to do the Ten Commandments. What it's going to be now is you're going to find this desire that's going to live inside of you. You can't help it because you've been transformed from the inside out. And you're saying, God, you've changed me. Christianity came and it changed me from the inside out. That was just a free pause. But getting back to this point, Jesus plus anything is nothing. Verse 17, then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And here it is. And when sins have been forgiven... There is no need to offer any more sacrifices. There's no need. Does that feel a little wrong? Does that feel a little blasphemous to you? Does it feel a little like, how could this be? 
It does to me. It feels a little like, I'm not sure, God, that you got that right. I mean, if I was God, and I came and I bestowed salvation upon my people, I'd be like, you better earn it. And you better show me that you're appreciative of it. And if you don't, you're out. When, my ki- when I get my kids something, or we go, you know, my kids are getting at the age, except for my youngest one, but like vacation now is starting to get a little like, do I have to go, right? And me and Marianne are like, oh, no, you know, we want you to want to go. But they're kind of like, eh, are my friends going to be able to be there? And I'm like, no, it's a family vacation. We're not rich, we can't bring your friends. And they, they kind of like, oh, where am I going with this? I don't know. I don't know what I was about to say. Entitlement. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. And, and so, you know, I, it, it's not that, the, the, like, God's saying, prove it to me, but I think he, there is this essence of, I want you to want this. I want you to want me, right? But this beautiful truth, that we, as Martin Luther said, need to be into our heads. Is the thing that in our heart says, I have to earn this. And again, here's the same point. But everything's built in life around this, isn't it? What do you do at work? You ever get a promotion or a raise at work? Why did you get that raise? It's because you probably earned it. You probably came in for a review and your supervisor, your boss, or however that works, said, man, you know, Jenkins, you did really great this year. You know, we're going to give you a 7% rate. 7%! Well, you earned it, Jenkins. You know, that's right, I did. You know, I mean, our whole life is based on that. School. You go to school, what do you do? How do you get a good grade? Earn it. Well, you're supposed to earn it. <laughs> My kids can, po- I, I mean, I would have been in trouble when I was in school, if we had Google. Because they can, I don't know if you know this, parents, like just giving you a heads up, you can point your f- smartphone camera at a math problem and it'll, it'll like show the answer. Where the heck was that when I was in school? You're supposed to earn those things, all right? Everything in life is based on this earning. It feels right. If you're a good kid to your parents, they take you out for ice cream. Then why doesn't it work this way with God? Because that stuff's built on this human ability, and this human ability can never get us to attain relationship with the almighty, perfect God. The only way that you and I can come boldly into the throne room, as Hebrews says, the only way that you and I can say, my sins are paid for, is because we, we say it's only Jesus. And the problem is, when we add to that, it's like Star Wars. What do you mean by that? You know what we don't need? is a Boba Fett series. I don't know if you guys are into Star Wars. I, I, I love But we're watching Boba Fett. I didn't want to see Boba Fett take his helmet off. I don't want to know. I want the mystery. I don't need a Boba Fett series. I need to know that this guy is just hardly ever talks and he could be a human. He could be a lizard under there. I don't know. I just want the mystery. It's like what we do to start where we, we go back and we add all this to these stories and what does it do? It ruins them. 
why do we do the same thing with our faith, friends? Yeah, God, what if I'm really earnest? What if I'm, you know, I, I know you said bl the blood of bulls and goats, you don't delight in that, but what if I give you more than what you're actually asking? You know, what if I show you my earnestness? You know what that would be like? You trying to pay your mortgage with monopoly money. But I got a lot of it. And your landlord or the bank would say, I don't care. A goose egg. Why then do we try to add to our faith? Here's the beautiful truth about our faith, friends. It is scandalous. It is scandalous. And unlike every other religion that says if you do, you do, you do, you do, then this God will accept, will accept, will accept. Our religion, our faith says, you are accepted before you do. That's scandalous. It's all based on this free gift that we've been given in Christ. That in spite of our sin, in spite of our immorality, in spite of our imperfection, this is what makes it so beautiful. In spite of all that, Jesus in His mercy and in His grace and in His love for you and me and ultimately for the glory of God, He comes and says, I will be the body that is needed because you didn't delight God and these continual sacrifices. Let's put our hope in that. Let's, let's be reminded of those truths as we go today where you are at the fork in the road today. Tomorrow, next week, next month, for the rest of your life. Do I put my hope in my own works or do I put my hope in the perfection of Jesus, the one and only sacrifice that is once and for all. Amen? Alright, will you stand with me this morning?